Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today we have a special guest with us, Ben Kaufman. Ben, I'm so excited to speak with you. We've only known each other on Facebook, and we actually met through the Brent Taylor Foundation's library or book club, not library. Yeah, and the book, <laughs> the book club, club was about a year ago this time, and we were studying a Lincoln on Leadership book, and mm-hmm. and had and that was only virtual. I mean, yeah. have, were we have yeah. we ever met in the same room? I don't no. think so. Mm-mm. So nope. a virtual experience. But you've been a, a great supporter of our podcast, and we've reached out to each other a couple times, and I was really excited to hear you share that our podcast has been helpful to you in your own grief journey. And so I wanted to have you on just to talk about that experience for you. So tell yeah. us about who you are and a little bit about you and how how this podcast has been beneficial for you. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Jenny, what a treat to be on. Uh, with both of you, you're, you you don't know this because we haven't really talked in person other than through email, but you have become two individual heroes to me in a really real way through my own grief journey the last year and a half, really through the medium of this podcast. So this is fun for me to talk to a couple of my heroes, I feel like, and I hope we have a chance to talk about a little bit of a meta conversation about the podcast itself and how it can be helpful to others. But my short story, and we can get into as many details as you want, but uh, my father, my hero, passed away 14 months ago, January 4th, 2021, mm-hmm. uh, quite unexpectedly. For some reason, I had connected with the podcast near the inception of the podcast. And you'll have to maybe maybe guide me on the dates, but late 2020, is that yeah. when you started? Yeah, that's when exactly. we started, yeah. Yeah. Whatever guided me to the podcast, I started listening in November, December of 2020, at the time really not knowing that this would become a very important tool for me as I worked through the first few days and then all of the firsts that come in that first year after you lose a loved one, this podcast has been a companion during some tender moments. Mm. I love how you put that, all of the firsts. Yeah. We could all we could all make a list of those first. Yeah, for sure. And how difficult for sure. that is. You know, I've never lost a parent, and I've been watching my husband's cousins grieve the loss of their parents. They both, we just buried uh, their father and uh, their mother mm-hmm. six months earlier. Yeah. And 
it's been a profound awakening for me at my lack of ability to understand what my children are going through. Mm, interesting. Mm. A different perspective on the grief. Yeah. I mean, I know that they lost their father and I know that it's been hard and watching them grieve has been difficult. But just hearing you say it, I mean, you're a grown man. You said it's unexpected. How old was your father? He was 65. Oh, that's way too young. It is too young. That is way too Pretty so young. How, how old are you then? I think he's about my age. Thir- 38. Oh, oh you you're young. young. <laughs> Pretty young. Oh, Can my you, gosh. Ben, tell us a little bit about your dad. Tell us about growing up. Give us a little perspective on your family, if you don't mind, so we can kind of paint yeah, a picture I'd of this great man actually. you lost. Yep. So I grew up in a little town in eastern Idaho, Driggs, Idaho, if you know Teton Valley. Oh, I have a girlfriend that has had fantasy since I met her about living there. Yeah, (sighs) I was born and raised there on a farm. And uh, I worked alongside my dad all growing up. And he was just my epitome of everything I ever wanted to be uh, when I grew up. And we developed a really close relationship in my early years. And then as a young adult, through a series of life choices. We were separated for the better part of 10 years. Um, My parents went through a divorce and we moved out of state and we lost a 10-year period of time that uh, a decade later we came together through a series of kind of serendipitous circumstances and we built the last 15 years of his life built a a very rich connected relationship uh, in a way that I think both of us at times had given up on and were delighted that later in life we were able to build a really strong connection with each other. Oh, that's so really old, beautiful. I'm, you don't hear that a lot. Yeah. You know, sometimes people either always have a rocky relationship with their parents or maybe it was fine when they were younger and then they go their separate ways and kind of that's it. How beautiful to know that you, even after a decade of, of kind of that separated time, we're able to come back together and rebuild something beautiful for those last 15 years. I love that. I love that you use the word connected, a connected relationship. That's powerful. Yeah. So we didn't know at 65 he had, you know, a, a third phase of his life in front of him maybe. You know, yeah. we had all yeah. uh, planned on a future that was cut short. Uh, he died of a heart attack in his sleep um, <sighs> on the night of January 4th. And you know, I, I've reflected on my experience of losing him, and the experience is somewhat unremarkable in the sense that everyone goes through the experience of, of losing a loved one. He was the first, you know, really close person that I've ever lost, but it's remarkable in the impact that it has on our individual lives. And I think that's why the podcast in particular has been so relevant to me is, you know, you both have this talent of extracting you know the details of individual grief journeys some of which have overlapped with mine and offer the helpful guide to Mm -hmm. how to deal with the emotions and aftermath of losing a loved one i think that makes both of us so happy and grateful I, i think we're kind of both in here fighting our own emotion feeling You've put into words what we always hoped this podcast would be, not just a chance to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, though we're both good at talking and talking and talking, but (laughs) a chance, I love what you said, to extract the story so that we can help each other. Isn't that exactly what we want this beautiful ongoing conversation to be? Yeah, that that was my intention. I'm like, 
I know so many people with really hard stories that have done really hard things, but they inspire me to be able to know that I have the ability to be just as strong. And that's why I wanted to share these people. So many of these people that we've had on are my friends right? and people that I've met along my work life just journey. Just your everyday path. Yeah. Sure. So that is profound. And I'm glad that we're doing what we set out yeah. to do. Ben, that can feels you, good. we always want to know what did that grief journey start like? Can you walk us through uh, how did you find out about your father, the funeral, those first very, very dark, heavy days and and marching into yeah. weeks and trying to move. You're now a little over a year out. You finished those first first. Walk us through that, that last 14 months. Yeah. My dad uh, spent his summers on the farm up in Idaho, and he spent the winters uh, in a truck. Uh, he was a semi-truck driver. He hauled propane all over the Intermountain West. And so he and I, the last 15 years, had this game of cat and mouse that uh, you know we would chase each other around the freeways in Utah and Wyoming and Colorado and Nevada and and it was always a game. He wouldn't tell me where he was. And it was always up to me to find him. And we would have these fun rendezvous uh, together whenever whenever I could figure out where he was. <laughs> How fun! <laughs> I love that. And his last day was a Sunday. Uh, the third of January was a Sunday. We live up in Weaver County. We drove down to Utah County to visit my in-laws. Lived down in Pleasant Grove and. We're on the road, and so uh, I was in find dad mode uh, on both <laughs> on both car rides down to Utah County and on the way back. And he has some places where he typically stops during the course of a weekend, and we frequented all of those places, uh, four different places on the way down to Utah County, and then on the way back from Utah County that night, we uh, reversed our course and visited each of the four places that we would usually be able to see him and once we got past the fourth place I called him and I said dad I can't find you (laughs) and uh, he answered the phone and he didn't tell me where he was but uh, we had this very beautiful 90 minute conversation almost as we drove the remainder of, of the way home that evening my kids and wife were in the car and I was just connected with my dad in a really special way. We had a far-reaching conversation that was not all that different than conversations that we had had over the years, but was particularly, I'll say, profound in the context of conversations we had had in the previous six months. It was it was a time to catch up and a time to share stories and a time to reflect. And it wasn't out of the ordinary, but in retrospect, you always look at these things and you think, ah, yeah, there was some divine portent in connecting us, you know, yeah. on a particular evening. So we hung up after talking for 90 minutes, and I didn't think anything more of it. I went to work the next day here in Ogden and went home that night. And uh, about 9 o'clock in the evening, we received a phone call. My aunt called, actually. Um, she had just visited with the sheriff uh, who had been dispatched. Uh, she lives up in Idaho, had been dispatched uh, to find his next of kin. He didn't really have any record of any, any kin living in Utah. And so my aunt received the news and and called us with the, how do you break that news to anybody oh, over no. the phone? That's that what their I'm just father thinking. Had died, so. Oh, yeah. so he was not with anyone 
He, he was not with anyone. He must have yeah, been found was, at some point by law enforcement or something. He was in his truck, in the sleeper of his truck, and uh, coincidences as they were that evening during the course of our conversation, I had driven right by him. It just had been a hundred feet from him in the course of the conversation, and oh. in retrospect, had thought, you know, what if, what if things had turned out a little differently? You know, yeah. what if we could have helped? And you know, everybody That's has this series of what if they go through. Yeah. Sure. But he was here, and, and it was a great blessing to, to, in some ways, to have him close. He was in Weber County. He was at a place where he had friends around him, uh, friends that knew him well enough to find him, you know, the same day and notify the authorities. So oh, I think we all goodness. go through these experiences where we lose a loved one, maybe especially in, in retrospect, you think, huh. So many details of that experience were choreographed by, you know, divine powers that, you know, it can't explain it any other way. You know, the, yeah. uh, those things are just carefully controlled. I think the way that we get into this life and the way we leave this life, all of that has such beautiful choreography. And our experience with my dad was not different than that. That's, well, that's a beautiful really way beautiful. to describe that, the yeah. choreography. Ben, we're going to take a quick break and come back. I appreciate you being willing to share that. I know we're all kind of imagining what if we got that phone call, and it kind of makes you stop in your tracks. So we'll take a break, let everybody catch their breath, and we'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ben, so you've gotten that phone call. Um, now, obviously, your aunt knows. D- did your father have more living family? Do you have other siblings? What What happened next after getting the news? I have my mother still alive. She lives in Washington State. And I have two siblings, a younger sister and a younger brother. The hardest phone call of my life maybe was pivoting from receiving the news myself, processing through that grief with my wife and kids who were with me when I received the phone call and then finding the courage and the strength to call my mom uh, to give her the news that her sweetheart of so many years had passed away. She should have probably been the first one to know, but as circumstances developed, she wasn't. And so, you know, I found it a great blessing actually in retrospect to be the one to carefully convey that news to my mom. But, that was the hardest phone call I think I'll probably ever make. 
I uh, cross your fingers in my life. Yep, I I'm sitting here thinking of my situation paralleling yours. Um, the moment the authorities told me Brent had been killed, my immediate immediate first thought was, how are we going to tell his mother? Like that was that was probably the darkest moment. In addition, of course, my seven children, but just thinking of his poor mother. In your case, you know, your mother, how do you make that phone call? And then your younger brother, your younger sister, keep walking us through and, and the services and things. What happens those first few days? I think we're not alone in those moments. You know, when we have something difficult to do, I felt my dad near many times since his death, but maybe no more so than in the moments when, you know, I needed to do something like call my mom and, um, you know, I think we all depend on strength far beyond our own in those moments when we're called on to do something that's beyond ourselves. And Absolutely. I've reflected on that connection since. But we got the news that night. It was late in the evening, and as families do, we spent most of the evening in shock. And you know, as the shock of the news wore off in reflection about memories and piecing together you know, the events of the last week and months and years that have led up to this and found comfort in consoling one another that there seemed to be some build up to this that as sudden and unexpected as it was it was certainly part of a a larger plan and we started to put the puzzle pieces together i think we all put puzzle pieces together for years after we lose someone i i just found another puzzle piece a few days ago that (laughs) fit really well into our explanation of why someone we loved so much was taken so suddenly. I love that. Are you somewhere keeping track of the different puzzle pieces? Yeah. That's that's beautiful to look at them as puzzle pieces because together they help create the picture. Yeah. We all have our own ways, I think, of dealing with grief, but one of mine has been to write. You know, writing is a form of reflection and soothing and revelation and, you know, many things that I think have been helpful. So I've written down maybe more than I'll ever share sure. <laughs> about my own journey, but it's because it's been healing and the reflective process has been been helpful. I'd love to know, and this is maybe just a little bit um, curious on mine and Michelle's part, I think we would love to know, you started this by saying the podcast and the stories other guests of ours have shared has helped you on your grief journey. Can you elaborate with that? Are there specific moments or lessons learned where you're being a a follower of this podcast and these episodes from other random strangers has helped you now that you're, and you're really kind of in the thick of your grief. This is all happening simultaneously. Uh, This isn't after the fact. Yeah, let me maybe just hit on the first theme that I, you know, you two have the special talent of guiding people through <laughs> memories of painful emotional turmoil in this warm, inviting, inquisitive way. And I think what that's done for me is it's given me some substance. And when I think of mourning, the act of mourning, you know, in some ways it's we're wired to experience things vicariously through others. I think the scriptural advice to mourn with those that mourn certainly indicates that we're wired in a certain way to experience the grief that others are going through in a way that's removed from our own, but 
connected, if that makes sense. And I think more than any specific story, the opportunity to log in, so to speak, every week and hear a grief story, not that they've all been grief stories, but a lot of them have been oriented around individual grief journeys and feel vicariously those emotions has been in itself just healing for me. You know, it's not that I've been able to do anything necessarily for those people or help them in their journey, but their own reflections on where they've been, how they've overcome obstacles after loss, heartache, or disappointment have helped me vicariously sense the strength that they're taking out of their hardship, the purpose that they're finding in the aftermath of those events, and then incorporating those things into my own life. So can you tell us what it feels like to have lost that parent? What does that feel like in those first moments? That's a a good question, Michelle. I think I had a good friend who wrote me a note right after my dad died, and I'll just maybe read you what she wrote because I think she put it more beautifully than than I could but it really does describe the way I felt she said grief I've learned is really just love it's all the love you want to give but can't all the unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes in the lump in your throat and in that hollow part of your chest grief is just love in search of new methods of expression Wow. (laughs) We're We're both both crying. crying. (laughs) Oh, tell your friend that's beautiful. And can we share that? We're happy to give her all the credit in the world. I think that is so powerful. Um, I think I've heard a lot of people call grief love, Mm -hmm. but the way she continues that it's, it's the effort to try to find another way to continue expressing that love, not just feeling like that love is stopped or over or gone or lost. The grief is the fact that the love continues and the method of expression has to change. And I think that's why grief is a process, not a check the list and I'm done. I love that. Yeah. So what can you tell others that are early in their loss with an adult parent loss? What is it like when you have children of your own and you're, you've lost this grandparent and this person that you wanted to share with them? What What can you tell me about that and what... What kind of a story can you relay for those that have just recently lost their parent? What's the message that you have for them? Yeah, it's a great question, Michelle. If we were around a fireplace and could talk all night, we could probably reflect. And I think some meaningful conversations could come out of a more intimate conversation. But I would just say I've been very surprised by a principle that you two highlighted in a recent episode about the ability to continue to build a relationship with that parent, in this case, my dad. Whatever your beliefs are about death and life beyond the grave, my own experience would say definitively that they are closer than we probably are aware of and that relationships, rich relationships, can continue to thrive even after death. In my case with my father, he was not physically present in my life at any time except at a, at a very young age. And in the last year, there has been, sounds funny to say, but there has been an immediate proximity with my dad that I haven't enjoyed since I was a very little child. And uh, I would just say to those 
people who are struggling with maybe that change in dynamic of a relationship, you know, moments of quiet solitude, uh, moments of reflection, be it a, a place that has meaning or a song that has meaning or, you know, something that can take you into a mind frame where you can be receptive to maybe just a different frequency of communication, I would say. Totally possible to continue to build those relationships. I think I agree. And you're right. We have had that conversation before. I agree with you, Ben. It's and it's really just being open to that from dragonflies that were showing up after John died and constantly for me and multiple of them. Like the more I saw them, the more I saw them, I saw them (laughs) and the more of them I saw little things like that to crazy messages that, you know, uh, my fun sister-in-law who goes to a psychic, but she comes back with the answers of questions that I had. Only you knew. Only only questions I asked in my own private closet in my house with no one present. There is no way on earth anyone had any idea. And she comes back with the order of the questions I asked and the answers to those questions. I, You know... It's remarkable. remarkable. It is remarkable. And it's such a gift. And I, I really feel like... I've had people say, I don't believe you. I've had people say whatever, like, or that's not happened for me. And I would say, I don't think you're paying attention. I, I don't think, think you're I think not the same. Yeah. I think you're not paying attention. And I think you're probably skeptical and not open to it. But if you will open your heart and allow your loved one to speak to you, they I will. promise they do. I think that's one of the most beautiful lessons another widow or two taught me Right after Brent died, these other ladies that are widows that advised me to look, to pay mm-hmm. attention, to watch for Brent speaking or showing up or being there or what, Ben, you just called the puzzle pieces. I've had some really tricky moments where I'll find myself doubting or wondering or just in the darkness, which I think is a part of the process that comes and goes, where I've really just needed an answer, kind of like you in your closet that day, Michelle. And and then I will find like a random 99 cent greeting card Brent gave me on Mother's Day seven years ago or some Mm -hmm. journal written that I didn't even know existed where he, it's as if he's talking straight to me. One day I found on my old laptop some videos that he had made before his very first deployment and they weren't like goodbye videos. They were just, he said, when you have a hard day, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. He left me a series of them. I forgot they even existed. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I turned on my computer that day, in the middle of that agonizing period of my grief journey, it's like I was FaceTiming him. I mean, there, there was no mm-hmm. way to know that he's not actually on the other end of the Internet. Right. And I'm with you, Michelle. People can say we're crazy, we're making it up, we're talking to the psychic, whatever. Mm-hmm. I find great comfort in my belief, and it sounds like many of us share this, that these loved ones don't cease to yeah. exist. I love it's the love has I didn't to go learn to the psychic. a new expression. Right, it wasn't even you. I didn't yeah. even go. <laughs> okay. I got that psychic visitation you, for free. That, that's even better the way. Okay, we're going to take one more break and come back and we'll ask you the same question we always ask, Ben, and that's to help us understand what resilience looks like to you. So think about it and we'll yep. be right back.
All right, Ben, listen. I'm going to ask you the question we ask everybody, but in doing so, Michelle, I'll admit I'm a little nervous. I think we're going to be out of a job here because I think Ben could host this show better than the two of us combined. Like, I'm listening to you going, wow. I listen. Wait, you got that out of this show? Huh. Yeah. Whoa. whoa. I'm, I'm kind of impressed by this yeah. beautiful thing that we're creating. And we have a lot of guests that could come on and host oh, the show. Oh, yeah. Host circles around yeah. us. But thank you, Ben, for helping us see... Uh, the value of what we're trying to bring, like Michelle said, when she first had the idea of this podcast and presented it to me, and then we presented it to KSL and presented it to potential guests and listeners, it makes you just feel so happy to know it's happening. It's, yeah. it's happening in yeah. a positive well, thank way. You. Yeah. Okay, here's the question. You're ready for it. Can you tell us, Ben, what resilience looks like to you and in your life? Yeah, it's a big question. And I think I think the answers that you've received that question from guests over however many episodes we're counting now have got to be put into a book because I, more than any other part of the podcast, I think the answers to that question That's across a the great board idea. Are, we can are make rich a, and valuable. And yep. We can make a book of the answers and then a series of t-shirts from all the cool one-liners. <laughs> like this is going to be brilliant because I'll tell you, Ben, I, you know, each of us sits here in the studio. You can't see us. Each of us sits here with a notebook yeah. and a pen. And sometimes we are writing furiously the things we're learning yes. from the guests we've probably never even met face to face. And they're opening their soul to us. And then they'll say something where we're, you know, we're writing it down as fast as we can. And then there's those one-liners that you're like, man, that needs to be on a T-shirt. So, okay, we're going to work on the book, yeah. Relentlessly Resilient, the book, Relentlessly Resilient, the T-shirt collection. Okay, I'll stop. Yeah. I'll give it back to you. So let's get your answer so we can add it to the book. Okay. So I, I'm actually going to share an answer by another of my heroes, and then I'll build on it. Um, and those that know me well will probably laugh. But um, there is a guest, maybe a future guest on your podcast, Jenny and Michelle, uh, Michaela Schifrin, the Olympic skier. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard her story, but uh, she she lost her father uh, almost exactly a year before I did. Uh, oh, early I did not know that. Oh my goodness! He, he was the same age uh, as my dad, and she had actually lost her grandmother two months prior to that, and so she oh. went through this incredible period of loss. Uh, she's of course. You know, a public figure, and so she did this in the you know the eye of you know a more public eye than most yeah. of us you know deal with deal with grief or. And she she put together in the aftermath of her father dying a foundation, a resiliency foundation that was really made up of alpine skiing athletes, but uh, she put together a foundation, the Jeff Schifferin's Resiliency Fund, and she's done a lot of good work. But she she asked scores of athletes to opine on the same question almost that you ask at the end of every every episode, what does resilience mean to you? So there's lots of content out there, but her answer to me was really instructive and it came to me in the first 30 days after my dad died. And so it was particularly helpful, but she said to me, resilience is the ability to experience something really difficult, hardship, pain, struggle, to experience that and then to get to the other side of it holding on to some form of strength or purpose. Whoa. Can uh, you read that again, please? That is so good. Yeah. To me, resilience is the ability to experience something really difficult. Hardship, pain, struggle, to experience that and to get to the other side of it, 
holding on to some form of strength or purpose. Wow. Not just to get to the other side of it and survive, but to get to the other side of it and pull some strength and some purpose. That is so powerful. That absolutely is. That is almost the definition of resilience. Finding purpose and value in the hard thing, the struggle and... And yeah, and being stronger for it. I love that so much. It's perfect. I would add to that maybe just the something I've learned from the two of you, which is I think resilience, yes, for sure, is to get through difficult things and hold on to strength or purpose. But what I've heard from the two of you is resilience is as much the act of anticipating or harnessing the energy that we know is generated in times of crisis. A loved one dies, a soldier falls. I think, Jenny, you're a great example of this, of, of being there when people are going through moments of grief or crisis or disappointment, and then harnessing that energy for the purpose of doing good. And this podcast is the greatest example I know of of doing that, and, and hats off to you know, the, the podcast certainly indexes many stories of resilience, and we all share our definition, but in a very powerful way, the podcast itself is an example of what resilience is and can be in our individual lives. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, and and I think you're right. I, I'm going to acknowledge that and take total um, ownership of the fact that we are taking the energy of some really hard things in our life. And we are trying to turn them around for good. Well, and how awesome to think of harnessing horrible, awful, heavy energy in a positive, uplifting way. Mm-hmm. Like you put that, you're, I can tell you're a writer. You've got such a way with words, Ben, that creates such a powerful construct where I can think of the energy. We've all, we can describe the weight, the heaviness, the gloom, the overcoming, the despair. We could go on and on with that description. I've never thought, what if I harness that? What if I use that for positive forward movement? What if that same heaviness could propel me forward rather than just pull me down? I think that is absolutely what we hope that people who listen and share their journeys with us on this podcast can do. I know that's what I hope my children can learn to do in time. You know, they're still young. We're about three and a half years out from Brent's death now, and you know some of them are getting older. They're starting to make their own decisions. My oldest daughter is going to be graduating and, and leaving home in a year and a half or so. Michelle's kids are grown, and some of them are married with kids of their own. I mean, we have these steps after steps after steps. How great if we could harness that energy and that grief and that pain while finding a sense of purpose. I just think that is powerful, Ben. I think you should write the book. We'll give you the transcripts. <laughs> we'll give you the transcripts of the the interviews because you may think we're good at asking questions, but wow, you are good at articulating the summation. So we can't thank you enough yeah, well, for being with us today. Well, let me let me just add one point, maybe Jenny, and this is evident maybe more to us listeners than it is to you as hosts, but you know, the fact that you have led this podcast with your own stories, uh, you know, in dedicated episodes that detail uh, Brent's passing and John's passing, and then tidbits of connection through, you know, each of the episodes as you have listeners on, I think 
for me, one of the most beautiful parts of the podcast is this juxtaposition of this very large arc narrative of Jenny and Michelle that we understand and and uh, find some connection through grief too, and then the depth and the texture of the details that you provide in your daily lives and the connectedness of those details to the broader story. I just think you're building a a great resource in your two stories to the extent that you're that both of you are willing to be transparent and vulnerable about about your journeys that years from now people will go back and listen to and it will be the dominant narrative that comes out of the podcast because you're both on a journey, you're willing to share it and it's far more nuanced and beautiful and can be shared in a single episode but you're it's unfolding before us as we listen to it so thank you for that and uh i'm eager to continue to listen and learn from both of you oh thank you so much thanks ben (laughs) this has been very uplifting for us because sometimes you wonder does does anybody listening does anybody care my own brother will tell me all the time how depressing the show is (laughs) because we do we talk about the darkness and the heaviness my boyfriend will say how do you do this there's so much trauma it is hard some days it can be heavy um we we record these every other week but we do three or four a day yeah when we record it can be hard because it does trigger our own connections to trauma and we have, of course we have more than our losses of our spouses you know jenny has the loss of her father by suicide i have multiple miscarriages um there's been a lot of threads that have been woven into other people's story and it's hard not to be triggered by those bits of trauma you know and sometimes i walk away going are we really helping anyone else because this is a lot of work and <laughs> And it's heavy at times. But I think moments like this, Ben, and you sharing what you've shared today, I think Michelle and I will say absolutely it's worth every every second. It's worth worth every trigger. It's worth every anguish because we're helping each other. And isn't that the beauty of what we want this resilience to be? Mourning with those that mourn. And and you said some stories are grief. I think they're all grief. Even Mm -hmm. if you haven't buried someone, the stories we're sharing are grief, a lost dream, a lost goal, a lost plan. It doesn't have to just be a lost life. And so grief can come in so many ways. And we're mourning together and harnessing that energy together and moving forward together. Looking for purpose. Thank you so much for coming on today. We've appreciated having you on. Yes, and thanks to our Thank listeners you. for tuning back in. We hope that maybe what Ben has shared might inspire you to be willing to share with us as well. If you or someone you know has a story that you're willing to share about resilience and an experience you faced in life, you can contact us on email at rrpodcast at ksl.com or on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Go out and have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.